Hey, good morning, One Hope. It's good to be together again. Um, this morning, I want to get straight into God's Word. I'm so excited. I'm preaching out of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1 to 13. So turn there with me in your Bible. I'll be um, reading from my NLT this morning. I just feel it's a easier version for what I want to preach. It makes it just so abundantly clear. But I'm actually going to have uh, two bites at the cherry on this, on this text, chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. The first time this morning, I want to look at it through the lens of calling and how God calls Paul and then how we apply that into our lives and ask questions around our calling. And then next week, I want to look at what I think is actually more exegetically going on in this text is around the church and around God building himself as we were speaking about last week, this temple of living stones and how Paul is part of that story and a character that God is using to do that. But we're going to get to that next week and, and look at the church. So let me start off by just diving in with um, some questions that I'd love you to have in your mind here around calling. Questions like, has God called me? If I follow Christ, has He got a, a calling for me? Is it a, a sort of a unique calling? If yes, if He's called me, then what is it to? How do I know what He's called me to? Um, how am I doing with my calling is another great question. Is it, is it clear? Is it ever before me? Is it like a burning light in front of me? Or is it like, hey, go, go look on the shelf over there behind the, yeah, be, yeah behind that, yeah, yeah, and look behind that. Yeah, there's, there's my calling. Kind of, I used to have it when I was 20 or 30 or maybe even 40, but now I'm 60 and now, you know, I'm just going to let the other young guys carry on with the calling stuff that God has got for them. So, so how are you doing? What, what is the reality of our calling? This is a great question. What's it What's it going to cost me when I, when I boil it down to the nuts and bolts and the, the rands and cents of my everyday life, of my reality? What is the reality of my calling? What about the timing? You know, some of us maybe feel frustrated because we feel so called to something, but no one else seems to see it yet. And uh, it's just like it's just doors are closing and we're so frustrated or others of you felt a burning sense of God's call. But now many years later, the ordinariness of life feels like it's grown like a garden over your over your heart and, and raising children and career and the demands of life make you feel like maybe the timing of your calling, maybe you've missed it. Right. And then with all these questions in our minds we turn to the text and remind ourselves that actually when we read God's word it's not about us first we don't just get to insert ourselves into the text first we read the Bible and we ask the questions of context what is God saying to these people to the Ephesians what is going on in in Paul's life what of what is God doing in these characters ultimately in God's story. It's the story of, of, not of Paul or the Ephesians, it's God's story and these are just characters in his play. And then we ask, and then we ask, Lord, how do these things apply into my life today? Into our community here in Stellenbosch or wherever you're watching from or into our church, One Hope. What does this teach us about those things. So I, I know that's a little bit of a, I set you up a little bit, <laughs> um, but I do want these questions in mind as we read this text this morning, because I believe that the text does also speak straight to them. Right, let's pray together, and then we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3. Father, we bring our hearts and our minds 
and our ears and our emotions and our thoughts in surrender before you. We want to yield to you, Lord, even just for a few minutes here this morning, for an, for an hour or so, we want to ask you, Lord, would you just help us to push aside some of the stresses and anxieties of things going in, in our, our lives, going on in our lives, and help us just to come and, and hear your word like fresh water flowing into our thirsty mouths. We bless you for your word and ask for it to speak powerfully to us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's read Ephesians 3. When I think of all this, what is he thinking about? He's thinking about what he's been saying in Ephesians chapter 2. One new man out of two. God's reconciling work between the Jew and the Gentile. He's thinking about Ephesians 1. Adoption, uh, sons and daughters, our great redemption, grace, forgiveness. So it's all these wonderful themes we've been thinking about. Paul's thinking about them as he starts this chapter. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, now he digresses, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insights into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Holy Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets and this is God's plan this is the mystery he's talking about now he's about to just say this is it and actually it's a summary of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 he's been doing it the whole time this is God's plan both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. And every Gentile should go, wow, amazing. Thank you, God. If only we could really get some of this context and feel what it was like to live in the separated, alienated, strangers kind of space that these Gentiles had experienced. Then he carries on. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And Paul here is speaking specifically to himself and his calling. Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Other versions say the infinite treasures or the unsearchable riches is what the ESV says there. I was chosen, Paul continues, to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we're going to come back and center on that verse next week. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Now I'm going to do this under a few headings this morning. And the first one that I want to speak about is God's call. And I want to zero in on this verse 7 where Paul says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. And then he carries on and he says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, and we'll speak about that just now, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen, he says, to explain to everyone this mysterious plan. And he continues with this plan of God. Now, I want us to be reminded right back to the very first sermon that I did in the first series of Ephesians when I spoke out of the book of Acts and I tried to ground us in the reality of this Ephesian book where there's this man Paul and he's a real living person and there's a a town called Ephesus and it's a real town and people are experiencing real life things and there's a real theater. You remember that? And we have this tendency to forget that these are real lives that are being outworked by God in His great story. Now, Paul's call, the reason I'm saying this to you now, as we speak about God's call on Paul's life, is that it was profoundly imposed on him. Paul, in no way, chose this apostleship for himself in no way did he decide one day that he would be the the apostle to the gentiles and would carry at great personal cost and suffering to himself the news to the gentiles which was the most unpalatable news that the jewish world at that time wanted to hear and so he was persecuted and derided and stoned and whipped and ran run for his life and eventually imprisoned and executed And so God's call was in no way something that Paul did as his preferred ministry area. It was costly. If you recall, he was persecuting the church. And at the age of 33 years old, suddenly Jesus dramatically and definitely takes hold of Paul's Life And so because of that moment, that Damascus Road moment, Paul can write and say in verse 7, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege, I've been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading the good news. And so God comes and in that moment commissions him. If you go and read in Acts chapter 9, you'll see this man, Ananias, after Paul has been struck blind by this vision of Jesus, who says to him, Paul, Saul, actually, that he hadn't changed his name yet, Saul, you're persecuting me. And then, and then Ananias, God says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for him. And Ananias says, God, haven't you, haven't you heard about this guy? And this is God's response in Acts 9. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul and laid his hands on him. Right? And so this is why Paul says so plainly, if we go back a step, Into Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul says so clearly that this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God. 
I, I wasn't looking for this. We need to know this. This needs to underscore anything that we try and apply in our lives. We need to know with a certainty that it is God who calls His people. It was the last thing on Paul's mind. Can you imagine a conversation with Paul the night before this happened, trying to convince him that in 24 hours he would be one of the greatest evangelists for Jesus Christ, declaring the goodness and the grace and the, and the, the truth of Jesus Christ? Paul would have laughed at you if you told him that he would have been a follower of the way, that this Jesus that he hated and derided and the church that he chased and persecuted, that he would become one of the primary apostolic builders of this very church. I'd love to link this, as Paul does here in the text, with the, one of the great themes of Ephesians, being chosen. Being chosen, and he says it here in verse 9, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan. And Paul is linking this, this word chosen or predestined. And, and we're familiar with it if you've been following our, our series. Because back in um, chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, Even as he chose us before the foundations of the world. And this is speaking about salvation and how God has chosen sons and daughters that we should be blameless and, and holy before Him. Carries on in verse 5 and it says, In love He predestined us for adoption. There's this idea of forethought of God thinking about it beforehand, about God choosing us and predestining us. And, and it's difficult to understand and we've acknowledged that and we've spoken about that particularly in series one. But the fact remains that God chooses men and women for salvation. Now, why am I raising this here? I'm not just trying to be contentious because just as surely as we are chosen for salvation, so just as surely the scripture teaches us, we are chosen for a life of calling to follow the purposes and the plans laid out for our day-by-day -day life. And this is so important because everyone who follows Jesus is called. I don't want you, I don't want me to be waiting for some Damascus Road experience as if we have to have that before we can really walk in the calling that God has for us. No, if you have been chosen and predestined before time, then so you too have been called to fulfill His work. And just in case you're still not 100% sure, Ephesians makes it so clear for us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says this, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works calling for something to do now wait for this next line which God prepared beforehand just so you know I'm not smoking my socks by by linking this to the chosen to God calling us predestining us it's exactly the same language in Ephesians 2 verse 10 where Paul is speaking about our calling to do good works for God he says which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so just as we are chosen for salvation beforehand, so we can be sure that we were created for good works beforehand. God already knows what you, put your name in that little sentence. God knows what Paul, God knows what Jane, God knows what, put your name in. Beforehand, 
purposed and planned your life. And so every Christ follower is purpose, plan, work to do here on earth. So let me, let me break some of the rules here and just jump into a tiny bit of, of questioning and application and push this into our hearts. How are we doing? Maybe you're a professor or a teacher or one of our creatives, a designer or someone doing video or photography. Maybe you're a blue collar worker. How are you doing carrying the message and the call of Christ into your workplace? How are you doing with the works prepared beforehand that you should walk in them? Do you even believe that? Do I even live like that? Do I even, does my life look like it believes that God has purpose and plan for my every day here on the planet? See, I see some who, who, who look like this, they believe this, who act and, and live as if God is part of everyday work and they are living out their calling as they go about the humdrum ordinariness of everyday life. But I see many more, church, I see many more who seem to be waiting for when God really calls me. I see many waiting for another season when I don't have kids, another season when it's not so busy, another season when, when COVID is not here. Friends, now is the, is the word of Scripture. Now you are chosen. Now you are called. It was foreknown before time. It was so important to God that before time, He said, I choose you and you and you and you and you're going to be my people and you're going to do my work. Right? Number one, we see in the life of Paul, God's calling. God's calling. We need to learn to partner with the Holy Spirit to live like this. The second thing that we see so beautifully in this text is Paul uses this really weird phrase in, in the very first verse. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. What is he, what is he on about, about a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why does he say that? I mean, my immediate response is no, Paul, you, you're a prisoner of Rome. It's, it's obvious. You're, you're a prisoner of the angry Jews who have, been, who have been accusing you before Rome, and Rome has taken you into captivity because they don't know what to do with you. And then you appealed, Paul, to Caesar. And so to Caesar, you have to go and stand trial. And so that's why you're in prison. Or maybe your theology is even you know, more difficult to come to, to come to grips with this. And you're like, how can he call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Jesus wouldn't do that. This is not Jesus making Paul a prisoner, right? Now, humanly speaking, absolutely, we're right, right? Paul is, is not Christ's prisoner, but, but Nero's in human terms. He, he appeals to Caesar, so to Caesar he must, must go. But Paul never seems to see it like this. And this is throughout his epistles. He sees not just his calling as God's, but he sees every single 
moment of life, every suffering, every difficulty, every deep dark place, as well as the great joys and the miraculous that he sees and, and God bursting into towns or cities like Ephesus, he sees everything that happens to him. Paul frequently demonstrates his, his unwavering belief in the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men and women. The sovereignty of God over the affairs of men and women, even when it lands him in tremendous trouble and suffering. And so therefore, he quite literally in this text is saying, I am a prisoner, not of Rome, not of Caesar, not of Nero, not of the Jews. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's profound. So convinced was he that the whole of life, even his imprisonment and later execution, was all under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. So he declares, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so we see, number one, that there's God's call and that this is not a human appointment. It's God reaching into the life of Paul and saying, you, I choose you to be my, my vessel to the Gentiles. It's God reaching into history now, into our lives and saying, you, Paul, I choose you to lead One Hope. Or you, Johannes, I choose you to work in the agri, in the agri market or, who, or whatever you do. And God's call is not a human appointment, it is God's. But then in the same way, we see that we are God's prisoner. That our whole life is sovereignly under the hand of God. And we see this so powerfully. I'd love to do another whole sermon on the Joseph story. And how he's hated by his brothers. How he's sold into slavery. How he's falsely accused of rape. How he, he ends up in prison. I mean, how's this for a little, like, a little uh, biography of a life? He has to wait and wait in prison, rotting there while he tries to make plans and they don't come to fruition. And then suddenly, in a moment, he's made prime minister. Now, we love that last part, right? We love that last part. And he, Joseph so powerfully articulates at the end of Genesis, he speaks to his brothers who are now afraid that he's going to kill them because their father has died. And he says, hey, listen, guys. I'm not pretending while dad was alive. What you intended for evil, God intended for good to preserve the lives of so many people. Now my question in the story is which God raised Joe which God raised Joseph to prime minister? Well, the same God who allowed him to be enslaved. The same God who was weaving his sovereignty into the story of Joseph and Potiphar's household being falsely accused. It's the same God that raised him to prime minister who allowed him into that prison in Egypt. And so the application for us is that God is at work in the finest details of our lives. Your job that you just got Friends, you didn't get it just because of your degree or because you had a great interview. You got it because of God, because God is working in your life. Or maybe you're going through something that's not like a great new job. Maybe your life doesn't look so great at all at the moment and it looks more like a failure and more like suffering. And I want to remind us that God is in those things, that we are a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not the, the circumstances of the world going on around us, not the obvious prisoner of Rome, prisoner of the Jews. No, we are a prisoner of Christ Jesus.
And Paul, in the midst of a not-so-easy time, in the midst of a Roman prison, I want to just look at how he speaks about this calling, this, this being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says in verse 2, that you know that he gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Look at how he, he values this. And then go down to verse 7 where we've been focusing. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him. In the ESV it says, the gift, the gift. This is a gift to me, it's the privilege. And go down to verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege. He graciously, do you get this, this language? God's calling, number one. God's prisoner, number two. Number three is God's story. It's God's story. And I want to focus in here on verse eight. And Paul says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. See, now I want us to notice in this little point that I'm making here about Paul and God's story is how Paul finds himself in the story of God, how Paul thinks of himself in the story of God. And I want you to notice the contrasting humility and confidence that Paul brings in our, in our lens as we look at how he looks at his calling. You see, on the one hand, Paul speaks with great authority. I am an apostle called by God, chosen by God. I have the great privilege of carrying this news. The mystery that other people didn't see in generations gone, God has given it to me and to the other holy apostles and prophets. And so there's almost like when you read Paul like that, you can almost see like a brashness. I know some people struggle when they read the apostle Paul. They find him arrogant. I, I don't at all because... He, has, he, he speaks with his authority because he's received the revelations of God and, and he knows it. He has a call of God on his life and he knows it. And yet on, on the other hand, in the same breath, he speaks with the most incredible humility and soberness and honesty when he says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people. And Paul references this many times through his epistles, how because of his past and because of his persecution of the church, he marvels again and again that God could possibly use him. And I think there's such a key for us here of how we recognize both the, the true calling and we don't be like, no, 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 God hasn't called me. I'm not worthy. I'm so worthless. I'm just a worm. We don't come with that approach and we don't come with the, yeah, here I am, God, I'm, I'm here to do your man of the hour is here. We come with this beautiful balance of great authority, great certainty. Yes, God has called me. Yes, I am chosen. I know that before, before time began, God called me and chose me. And we come with this God assurance. I don't want to call it self-assurance. I want to call it God assurance 
in our heart, that we know that we know that we are called, and yet at the same time, we have this, this breathing on the back of our neck, this, this, this breath, hot breath of God on the back of our neck, reminding us that it's in our weakness that He is strong. Have you ever noticed how God seems to delight in taking those that the world thinks are the least obvious and making them the, the hero of the testimony? Have you ever noticed how God does that? I think it's because God gets maximum glory through those weakest of vessels. For, for those of us who just can't get rid of some of the sin in our lives and we feel our own worthlessness and we feel our own weakness and yet God still chooses to use us. C.S. Lewis speaks about humility so profoundly and he says, he says true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So Paul doesn't think less of himself even though he says I'm totally and utterly unworthy because he knows that everything that has come to him is entirely because of God's kindness to him and so Paul is centered and this is point three in God's story we are completely sober-minded about who we are this is now applying this into our lives what we see in the life of Paul, yet simultaneously completely full of faith that God has called us, that we are his prisoners, that he is directing the universe, that he is sovereign, and that if he turns to us and says, hey, ham sandwich, that's us. Piece of pizza, that's us. I want to change the world and I want to use you to be part of that story, part of my grand story, God's story that we get to surrender and are willing participants, joyful participants, marveling all the way. Wow, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done in His story. The fourth thing that I want to look at from the story of Paul's life is God's message. I want to ask this question. Is there, is there a link between, of this, between all of our work prepared beforehand like all of our lives so let's think about us at one hope church all of us are we on a canoe like to give you two pictures are we on a canoe rowing around the lake just like on a, on a slalom canoe rowing around the lake all of us doing our own thing all of us on our own little calling for God or is there a, a coherent linked and powerful thread like a, the picture here is, is a massive, massive old school type boat with millions of believers at the oars. All heave, ho, heave in unison going together in this one coherent, powerful thread. Now looking at many churches around the world and many in the church today, you would be forgiven for believing that the more accurate description is picture one, where each of us are individually after our calling and God, what are you doing in, in my life? What is my story? What is, and we are the center of those stories. But I want to 
look at Paul here again in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to look at his sense of privilege that we've spoken about, that he, he has this deep sense of, of almost gratitude overflowing for him, of the privilege of this calling that he's been given. But not just that he's been given this calling. It seems that the, the, some of the, the deep sense of privilege and joy that he has for this responsibility that he's been given is because of the very message itself that he is caring. It seems to be more that he's marveling at the incredible message that he has been given to carry. He's going on and on about this mystery, this plan, this beautiful thing that is hidden, but to, to those of, of the past who would have longed to see it. But now it's been unveiled. And then in verse 6, he just gets right to it and he says, And this is God's plan that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. And he basically does a summary of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and how all these, these two different things have been brought together. Ephesians 1 verse 10, remember the great plan, the master plan is that all things are united in Christ Jesus and the Jews and the Gentiles are just an example of all things included in that are heaven and earth creation, angels, the, the, the coming age, all of it is going to be unified in God. And then he gets to, nice, he speaks about what this plan is, right? And then he gets to verse 7, and we just watch his language explode. Well, he says, by God's grace and God's mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And the message is primary for Paul. Much more important than his calling is this, this message that he's carrying. He says, though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom. Like a whiteboard in the heavens and God is displaying the church and saying, look at my plan. Look at what I'm doing. And we're going to get to that next week to display his wisdom in its rich variety. And this message that Paul is getting so ex explosive about here in this text, this message, God's message is the primary thing that every one of our lives, our calling is about. I want you to pause and I want you to think about the many times that if you follow Jesus, you've probably asked God, Lord, would you show me my specific calling? Would you show me what it is you want me to do? Where should I work? Where should I live? Should I be a missionary? Should I be a plumber? Should I be a, a secretary? What is it that you want me to do with my life? And those are not bad questions and those are good things to ask the Lord. But I want us to realize with a, with a fresh sense of soberness that our calling is to carry the message of Jesus, just as it is here for Paul. Now, we don't have a Pauline-esque calling on our lives. We're going to be the first apostle to carry this news to the Gentiles and be imprisoned and executed because of just how unpalatable and crazy it is to the minds of the people that Paul is taking it to. We don't have that kind of calling, but our calling 
I don't think we have to spend our lives waiting for this grand calling. We are in the grandest of stories. If you take something away from today, we are in the grandest of stories with the grandest of messages. And we don't need anything more. We could do that for the rest of our lives, just going in day after day, carrying this precious message of Jesus, of reconciliation, of hope. Of one made out of the two. Of grace. Of adoption. Of forgiveness for our sin. Of real acceptance into the family of God. So much so that we have an inheritance of being built. These variety of stones being pulled together from every nation, people, tribe and tongue. And us being built into a temple that God himself is going to dwell in. This is the incredible grand message that we get to carry and so every time we pull on a tie we do it in Jesus name and we go out with his message to our office and every time we wake our children for school and begin another predictable day in the crushing ordinariness of parental life we carry a message to our children and then our children carry it to those at school and we carry it to the moms and dads and our friends at school. Yes, even in your sleep-deprived state, we are carriers of the message of God's hope and reconciliation and life into Stellenbosch and beyond. And every time you grab your Apple Pencil or whatever it is you use and you head to Blue Crane or you head to campus or you head to one of the many coffee shops to do some work, and sometimes I know you really are, you are a carrier of God's message. And so we see God's call on our lives through the life of Paul. We see God's prisoner through the life of Paul and our submission to God's sovereignty in every circumstance and situation of our lives. We see ourselves centered accurately in God's story. That it's God's story and we come with both a, a faithful assurance of God choosing and calling and, and setting out work for us to do as well as a humility of our own weakness and frailty to get anything done. And we come desperately in need of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see ourselves in, in God's message through the life of Paul, carrying this wonderful, grand story, the privilege of carrying God's message into the world. And friends, if I had time, I would tell you about God's timing. Do you know that it wasn't until AD 45? Let me just put that in context. Paul the Damascus Road experience was AD 34. So 11 years later, that was when Barnabas came looking for Paul, found him in Tarshish and persuaded him to come and minister to the Gentiles with him. So 11 years from the moment when God already told Ananias and told Paul that he would be an apostle to the Gentiles. 11 years later, let's talk about timing and the timing of God's call in our lives. And in this time, God was working, shaping, training, preparing Paul. What do you think he's doing with you? 
Now there's two sides of this coin. I wish I had time to tell you. I wish I had time to tell you. Some of us are, are chomping at the bit. God, I want to, I want to, why is no one opening the doors for me, God? Why, why can't I fulfill my calling? Why don't they see, Lord? And that's a good zeal to have. And I love that zeal. Keep chomping at the bit. Keep having your heart fueled by God. But you need to learn that God's time is never wrong. God can do more in one year than you can do in your entire life of striving and trying and bashing open doors with your axe. Wait for the timing and the season of God. The other side of that coin are that some of us are feeling disqualified. We have this zeal that we remember from our, our, our teens and our, our 20s and our 30s, but life is so slow and we grow so little and life is so ordinary and we get despondent and I want to remind you if you're feeling like that this morning and maybe you just want to pack in your your calling and, and the things some of the some of the unique things that you know that God has placed in you as a contribution to his world some of the unique works that he's prepared beforehand for you to bring to this world I want to remind you that Jesus God incarnate was prepared for 30 years to preach for three and to minister for three I want to remind you that Moses was 40 years old when he left Egypt, when he fled from Egypt, and that he was over 80 years old when he returned. 40 years of training. I want to remind us of the timing of God. If I had time, I would love to tell you about this little phrase that Paul uses in verse 1, where he says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you, Gentiles. What does that mean for, for the benefit of you Gentiles? It means that Paul is saying he was literally in prison, standing in the gap because of the Gentiles. And I want you to, to consider this and think about why was Paul in prison? I've alluded to it throughout this preach. Paul was in prison because he was preaching Ephesians 2. Because he was insisting that there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. And that the wall in the Jerusalem temple should come down because Jesus had already broken it down. And that all the things which had separated them made them strangers and aliens that God had come and obliterated. And that was why Paul was in prison. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they eventually did kill him. And the question that, that comes to my mind and why I'd love to have time to tell you about this is because I want to ask you, are you prepared like Paul to fulfill God's call on your life? Am I prepared to fulfill God's call on my life when it gets hectic like that? When I'm in prison, when I'm suffering like that, if God, God calls me to? Alas, I have no time. So... Let me instead remind you about the one on whom all of Paul's calling and responses and enduring and suffering and surrender and eventual glory when he was executed and went to be with Jesus. Who was it all modeled on? Let me tell you instead of the one on whom our lives and our calling and our responses and our surrender and our suffering and our eventual glory are modeled Jesus the suffering servant the one who made possible the great message that Paul felt so privileged to call his own calling that we get to say God's message to our world every day Jesus the suffering servant in Christ in Christ in Christ 
That's our identity. That's our calling. That's our, our hope. The one of whom Paul wrote here in Ephesians chapter 3. He's telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures to them, available to them in Christ. The unsearchable riches. You must read the commentators on this verse, guys. And just see how they struggle to interpret that, that little phrase, endless there's so many different words that are used as they grapple with the unsearchable, infinite treasures available to us in Jesus Christ. Let me read for us Isaiah chapter 53 as we close thinking about Jesus Christ fulfilling His calling so that Paul the Apostle could fulfill His calling so that we today could say, I am chosen by God, with a great faith assurance in our hearts and a great humility because we've seen what Jesus has done and we realize that it's only and always because of Him and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we get to do any of this at all. Without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, without God's sustaining power, I am literally a corpse, a breathing dead man, a, a getting eaten by worms, Dead man, no matter how strong I look or how great my personality is or how much the world values me, without Christ, I am nothing. Isaiah 53, just the end part I'm going to read for us this morning, shows us Jesus face to face with His calling, a difficult calling. This is what it says in verse 10. But... It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, says God, speaking about Jesus. Because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I thank you for this mysterious plan. That through the death of Jesus, through the fulfilling of His calling, that Jesus faced death and faced grief, made an offering of Himself, so that there would be many descendants and a long line of people who would be counted righteous, a long line of rebels who would instead be declared holy and blameless and chosen and adopted. I want to come and I want to say in the name of Jesus, I thank you my God and my Father, for your grace and your mercy that you have poured out on us in our salvation 
and in putting in our hands this wonderful message to share with all around us every day of God's reconciling, hope-filling, life-bringing message to Stellenbosch, to wherever people watching this morning are from, to that town, to that community, to that cycling club, to that campus, to that school, to that over-60s club. I praise and I thank you that Jesus was counted worthy so that we are counted worthy to walk in the calling that you have laid out in front of us. In your precious and wonderful name, I ask that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit for these things. Lord, I don't want to churn up any froth and bubble and human zeal and, and legalistic human effort. No, we fix our eyes on you and we say, as we look to you, teach us your ways. Empower us with your mighty power, as Paul speaks about here in Ephesians 3, for the call, for the task that is set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I love you. I miss you. As an eldership and as a leadership, we miss the gathering together of all of us together. I miss seeing you. I miss your families. I miss your children. I miss the stories and the testimonies of what God is doing. But be assured that God is at work. Be assured that we are praying for you. We are holding you up before the Father. Next week, I want to speak from the same text, Ephesians chapter 3. But we're going to talk about the church and God's purpose and plan for the church. Love you guys. Have a wonderful week.